Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is VP of Analytics and Strategic Finance at Etsy, Gerald Vandenberg. He joins us on the program to talk about the convergence of a post-COVID retail environment for fraud, the AI-driven technological response, and ensuing privacy concerns that mark prevention efforts in 2023. Later, we'll talk about best strategies for classifying customers based on risk and where to strike a balance between loss prevention and serving honest customers. Today's episode is sponsored by Riskified and is the fourth and final episode in a special series on retail fraud prevention. To check out the other episodes, scroll back into Apple Podcasts or Spotify or log on to podcast.emerge.com. Again, that's podcast singular, no extra S. And look for our first episode featuring Riskified VP of Business Development and Sales, Eyal Rob, talking about the kinds of policy fraud that have exploded since the dawn of the pandemic. A little over a month ago, we also featured Instacart COO Asha Sharma on the podcast talking about personalization. And earlier this month, we featured Gap Incorporated Senior Vice President of Asset Protection Chris Nelson reflecting on the lessons learned moving from his military background to the world of fighting fraudsters with data. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Gerald. Gerald, thank you so much for being on the program with us this week. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So taking things from Etsy's vantage point, you guys grew up as a, as a website. You've come into the world through data. When you look at the world post-COVID, what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing in e-commerce and your sector of retail? Look, I think if there's three trends that I've really been seeing, I'd say the first one is that the world has just been getting a lot more dynamic. And so we're seeing things happen faster, they're more volatile, and they're a lot more real-time. The second one is, I think the world is getting a lot more personalized. I think you're seeing that across a lot of parts of life in the world, but in terms of e-commerce and retail, I think it's particularly prominent. And the third one that we're seeing in the business world is really a greater focus on margins and cash flow in a world with higher interest rates and a more cash-constrained uh, environment. Yeah, let me start with the more dynamic world part. The first place that I think data comes in is really helping us try to predict and anticipate what's happening. And so to the degree that you can identify leading indicators in your data and help get ahead of those trends, I think it's incredibly helpful. But then I think there's also just a learning mm -hmm. component, kind of as you see trends, how do you kind of build them into your frameworks so that you can identify them more quickly in the future and react and kind of build levers into the business. Yeah, I mean, for personalization, I mean, data is so central to being able to personalize. It's hard to imagine personalization without it. I do think as we kind of look ahead, being able to actually have the data to personalize is a big part of the process. And the second part is really, do you have the ML, the algorithms to properly play back what that personalization really means to the end user? And I think there's been a lot of exciting developments in that space over the last few years. Right. And what do you feel about those developments? What are they? And in what should business leaders know about them if they're starting from scratch and want to avoid kind of hype technologies? Yeah, hype is a good emphasis word there. I think right now, certainly with ChatGPT and OpenAI and some of their progress, we're certainly in an AI hype phase. And while it's genuinely exciting, I think it's also important to understand where are we and where do we still have to go? And what I see right now is that there's still 
a need for humans in the loop somewhere. And so AI can really sort of make us superhuman in, in what's possible. And we're seeing a lot of augmentation in what's possible, but we're not yet at a place where you know AI can run everything end to end, particularly within the e-commerce system. Where do you think the human place or the place for human judgment rather is in workflows that involve personalization, where especially the, the fundamental awareness of this discipline is so AI driven? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the two elements that I would mention, I think the first one is some kind of a labeling, meaning how do we identify what worked well, what was well personalized? How do we get that feedback loop back? That could be implicit signal from end customers. That could also be a training set from agents or contractors of, of sorts who are helping evaluate and label the data sets for the AI and the ML algorithms at the end of the day. For sure. Now, turning, even if we can kind of go back to fraud for a second, because I think it's important to understand that kind of both technologies are kind of growing together. Where do you see in retail the best places to get started in if you've you know come through the front door of personalization? Where's the crossover for fraud detection and, and vice versa, especially because you know these are both front door use cases? Yeah, for sure. I think first broadly, I think ML is incredibly helpful for the fraud space. And I would say my comments earlier about humans in the loop applies here as well, where it's really important to have labeling that can often require humans to better understand what the patterns are and to really inform the ML feedback loop as we go through. I think on the personalization front, the main goal is to get better and better at identifying where risk profile exists and having more targeted approaches for different risk profile segments and really having AI and ML more accurately identify those and so that we can improve our precision over a period of time. Right, right, right. And I know we were speaking a little bit about how dynamic the trends are post-pandemic. Now that we've kind of come on this what we've seen throughout, you know, all sectors kind of called a next normal. Like it, it wasn't what it, it it was before, but we are seeing trends remain consistent. What are you seeing consistent in the retail space now that we've kind of gone past this point where your merchants are are reactively making masks and things like that? Yeah, good question. I think looking at e-commerce overall, there's been a lot of talk about reverting back to the pre-pandemic curve. And as I look at it, kind of the data suggests that e-commerce penetration is substantially higher than it was pre-pandemic, but it's also the acceleration has given, we've kind of seen a, a pullback over a period of time so that we're now back onto that original trajectory of sorts. That being said, I think in the context of this new normal, we're still a lot more online than we were pre-pandemic. And so I think that reality is here to stay. I, I don't expect us to substantially fall further back. And now the question is sort of where do we grow from here? What does that look like in the next phase? Well, let me ask you maybe about what makes Etsy special in in that regard, in that you have largely, you know, these human merchants, these, these, these creative folks that are putting their craft, their art out there. And it's not quite like I come a little bit from music, so like Spotify, where there's a, a a little bit more of a direct market, say between the algorithm and the creators. They're creating maybe for the algorithm, or or what are you seeing in that regard, in terms of your merchants, or or what challenges 
what you might face where you have distinctly human content creators as part of your brand? Yeah, there's two broad challenges I would say that we see at Etsy. I think one of them is that we have a lot of different items. And so we have over 100 million items on Etsy. And so that makes this whole matching problem quite complicated versus a more discrete catalog. The second one is that unlike many other traditional retailers, we don't have UPCs or SKUs to match these items back to. They're all unique goods, either handmade, vintage, or craft supplies. And so the level of sort of catalog data that you have for them is much more limited, and it becomes kind of this classic unstructured data problem, and how do you bring all of that back together in a way that we understand our inventory at a deeper level? Yes. Well, tell us a little bit about what kind of goes into the categorization in terms of of those unique goods. Is it is it a process whereby you're saying it's so unstructured, it can be so random that we're going to skew to a minimalist perspective, we're going to think as as few categories as possible, or or does you know a maximalist perspective tend to be more efficient? Just in, let's have as many categories so we can satisfy as many customer interests potentially, or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I might answer it a slightly different way. I think we, in terms of kind of the data we get from our sellers, we do ask, of course, category data, taxonomy data. We ask for descriptions. We ask for details around the items. Some fields are required. Some fields are optional. And we try to strike the balance there between friction for the seller, but information for us and to help match to buyers at the end of the day. And then I think there's a number of things that we try to infer that may be harder to ask directly. And this is where ML or other tools could be really helpful. I wanted to fit at least a question along these lines in because it came up in, in other episodes that we're doing in this series on retail. You didn't list it necessarily in your trends, but I'm also curious about the fraud challenges that you might have, given that you're working you know, on both sides of the table with human beings, with so many options, with, with unique goods. In terms of where you're collecting a lot of this data, you know, putting both merchants and customers into different categories, how much does that unique goods factor come into play in increasing how much data you're taking or not? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's The friction I was mentioning between making it easy to list and sell on Etsy versus understanding more about the seller and the listing, I think is exactly the the balance we're trying to strike in the fraud world. Meaning the more you ask, the more KYC we do, the more controls we put in place, the harder it is to start selling on Etsy. On the other hand, the more we can understand a seller before we take on the risk that's involved with having their items on the marketplace. So I think that's a balance we're constantly trying to strike. And of course, ideally, we get more precise in our tools and in, in identifying where and when we go deeper in terms of that investigation. And then I think at some point, we have to make a call mm-hmm. on where do we want to strike that balance across the different parts of the marketplace. Of course. How much does that go hand in hand with the personalization efforts? Is Are they basically, you know, I've seen this at some organizations, they're almost considered the same process now. By the, by the time you better get to know the customer's intention, you already are getting to know the customer's, of course, identity and all of the KYC implications therein, especially in a FinServe context, which of course, we're, we're in a retail, very, very different. But even looking at it at that point, where do we see data and analytics blend from both sides where we're kind of accomplishing the same job at once? Yeah, good question. I think of personalization in the context of Etsy 
I tend to think more from a buyer perspective, meaning mm-hmm. how are we matching the inventory that we have to a buyer's needs? But I think the general tools of ML data and analytics, I think very much apply to this problem of fraud and identifying which sellers we want to apply, what sort of risk controls to and, and what that looks like. A quick question in, in terms of the categories of your customers, your merchants, is it a gradient based on, you know, kinds of bad customers? Like, is it is there or kinds of good customers? Is that like always a first lens that you find advantageous? Sometimes in a couple of the conversations that we've had, you know, depending on the specific sector, you know, groceries, et cetera, having that lens of the bad customer first gives a more accurate sense of the data. It does it need to lean one party or the other, so to speak, or or is it a little bit more ambidextrous? Yeah, it's it is a good framing in the sense that thankfully fraud is not the most common pattern. Mm-hmm. And so there tends to be a little bit of a needle in the haystack in terms of finding it. It's more prevalent than we'd like it to be, of course, not just at Etsy, but everywhere in the world. But on the other hand, it's not the main activity that happens. Typically our sellers are good and they're trying to do the right thing. And so finding the bad actors amongst them is sort of a little bit of a needle in a haystack type of problem. And definitely, I think we use a lot of the signals when we've identified a bad actor, that becomes a key part of the algorithm. And I think there's a couple of layers to that. One of them is a set of rules that we keep adding to over a period of time. Then there's an ML layer on top of that. And then there's general monitoring to identify what are we missing? What are sort of areas that we are seeing, for example, a spike in sales for a given seller all of a sudden, and what kind of monitoring do we want to put in place for uh, examples like that? You mentioned as your third trend, a a consideration towards privacy. And I think this is, while we've been downstream from personalization, its relationship with fraud, I think this is a, a good place to tackle it. What are the privacy challenges as you are trying to find out more about the customer, both, you know, from a personalization, a fraud perspective, all around just to conduct the modern business of, of e-commerce. Yeah, it's funny. I actually saw privacy as part of my second personalization point in the sense that it's a big lens to consider in that context. And in that context, I think the challenges are many. I think one of the hardest areas is advertising. And so on-site, I think there tends to be a little bit of a, more possibilities in terms of what user data can we use while you're browsing the site. But then how can we use that offsite, I think, is a particular challenge. And we've seen across the industry that that's been a more challenging area in the last couple of years. Of course, of course. Do you see like completely different data categories between on-site and off-site? Or is there a lot more commonality there in terms of the data intake than people think? There's some overlap. But I, I in fact, I think the way I would think about it is a lot of the on-site data is what we then would like to propagate externally. But we want to be very careful about doing that in a privacy-safe way. And that is not limiting is not the word I would use, but Mm -hmm. I think where we have to apply the most care. Mm. And so trying to send things more in aggregate, we're not trying to send something that identifies someone, we're trying to identify segments or broader groups of people that can help us with targeting and things like that. And that works in reverse as well, in terms of what advertisers Mm. can send us. It tends to be more at an aggregated level so that we can maintain some view of privacy. Correct me if I'm wrong, and and I wouldn't put you in the spot as a historian of your organization, but I have to take it that because Etsy came, you know, distinctly from the online space that they have to make that effort for their merchants. 
to, you know, gather on site data that you've had to make that leap that, you know, your data channels are, are really strong there? Or are there challenges that still persist in, in, in trying to cross that gap? Yeah, I think Etsy has a long history of trying to use data to improve the customer experience. And so being an online first and online only company, I think that sort of comes very naturally to the way we serve the product and express ourselves in the marketing. I would also say we've always been pretty careful about trying to protect privacy in the channels we've launched and the way we advertise. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of set us up well as the world has moved more and more towards that world over the last few years. Indeed. And to just offer you a grab bag, because I know we've covered some you know specific instances along the, the trends that you've noted. But how else are you seeing retail e-commerce leaders use data and analytics to solve challenges in personalization, the dynamic trends that, that you've been seeing that you were citing in your first answer? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the general area that I'm seeing a bigger emphasis recently is more on margins and what investments are working, what investments are not working. And that kind of applies across everything. So we were talking about marketing a second ago which of our marketing tactics and channels are working well? Where should we invest more? Where should we pull back? How can we make that work more effectively? How can we improve the ROI on those efforts? That's a big emphasis. I think similar focus, though, on the product side and on the site itself, yeah. where we try and improve things that we feel like we have more room to go. What has been less fruitful and should we try to pivot? And when? And what are the early leading indicators that tell us that? Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this kind of reversal of the role in AI. Usually, you know, we're struggling to get business leaders to understand the ROI of AI, but it, it seems like almost a very natural capability for AI to start assessing the very incremental, very easy to understand bottom line ROI for every other function of the business if they're taking that data anyway. How, how developed is is that application? Is that is that mature or is that something that we're going to see over the next like half decade or so? Yeah, I think it's, I would not say it's mature, but I think it's developing. And mm. I do think it's an area that at Etsy, we've spent quite a bit of time over the last few years developing a degree of rigor around mm -hmm. our measurement and understanding the relative ROI across all of our efforts. And so uh, the amazing thing is with A-B testing on the product development side, you can get quite a good read on what was the impact of your new algorithm. Yeah. And uh, what does that look like versus a control? And then what does that mean for the business and how does that compare to our cumulative effort? I think the magic is not just looking at individual experiments or individual squads, but looking at the portfolio as a whole. How is that delivering and how are the different pieces working together? So it's quite a complicated machine when you think about all the different pieces in the ecosystem. Similarly, on the marketing side, you know, there's lots of geotesting or different types of holdouts that we use to try to understand what's the actual incremental impact of these channels mm -hmm. and how do these channels work together? to deliver an ROI. So right. we, we get pretty fine-grained detail on how these are working individually and then spend a lot of time thinking about what the optimal way to put the portfolio together. Yes, and I promise this is the last time I'll harp on this, but as you've grown from kind of a web 1.0 company to a web 2.0 company and come from that world, I'm wondering, you you have, must have, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, a host of, of AI initiatives that you've grown in-house, Maybe there are some vendors. What is Etsy's philosophy in terms of, you know, we're going to take on a, an AI project, a tech development project in-house versus seeking a vendor, especially given where you guys came from? Yeah, good question. Let me try to think about how to answer that. 
what I would say is our overall goal is to sort of maximize the impact for our buyers and sellers. So that's right. that's the lens that we ultimately take. And what I would say in the recent past we found is that we can take some areas of existing technology and sort of build on them or apply them to Etsy, as opposed to being the very first to come up with that algorithm or that Sure, technology. right, right. And I think that's taken us a long way. That being said, I think the way we adapt those to Etsy's context is also kind of very cutting edge and we're getting closer to, yeah, the frontier of what that looks like in areas like search and recommendations where we are applying some of these algorithms in a more complex context of a marketplace with so many different items. Of course, of course. Gerald, I think this is a, a really fascinating look into, you know, how how the how the wheels turn just in terms of like, you know, even going back for overall retail and, you know, a lot of places that you've gone in your career. But thank you so much for being with us on the program today and sharing your insight. Of course. Thanks again for having me, Matt. Wrapping up today's episode, I would also like to plug the article companion to today's conversation, as well as the remainder of the Riskified special series on preventing retail fraud. This was a really great series, if I may say so myself, including Asha Sharma, COO of Instacart Gap, Incorporated Senior Vice President of Asset Protection, Chris Nelson, and Riskified VP of Business Development and Sales, Eyal Rob. We'll be running an article in the next few weeks profiling the major takeaways and insights from the series. So if you're just tuning into today's episode and don't quite have time to rewind back to the other three episodes, we're very happy to give you the greatest hits insights. I would log on to Emerge.com, subscribe to our newsletter if you don't feel like waiting, but that article will be live on the site on July 10th. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.